0: You know, it's funny. uh, Last week, uh, I always critique people on their message. And I don't mean critique, but like I talked to them about, hey, this is what you did amazing. Here are the things to work on. And uh, the last time Isaac came up, I said, hey, one of the things you need to work on is uh, you need to make sure you remember to bring your notes because he had to go back and get them. Here I am. (laughs) because we're not perfect and and I stand by the advice uh but obviously I didn't receive it as much as I should have um so we're jumping in stillness this was supposed to be the first message in the series is there an echo nope just me all right I can hear me though Echo, echo. All right, uh, so this was supposed to be the first message in the series, uh, but God had other plans, and I pray that we always remain at church, that when God has other plans, that's enough for us, and we just roll. Um, I love that. I hope that we never get to the point where we're uh, so big or so excellent that we can't let God move on his own, Uh, although I also don't want to be so, like, floopy that we can't trust what God is doing and really walk in where he's at. I think there's a fine middle line. And the beautiful thing about, well, how do I walk that fine line? You got to be still and you got to listen to God. Um, I think so many people fall into extremes because we're so desperately trying to understand God and we're so desperately trying to reach God on our own, but the whole point of the gospel is that God already reached us. And so sometimes we we'll just have to sit down and sometimes we just have to shut up and just listen to the God who broke through all things to come to us, right? The veil tore, right? So he broke apart and he came to us and he's still doing that to us today. And so I think stillness is important. It's an integral part of your walk. And I would dare say that if you do not get still with God and listen to him speak to you, I would say that you are a Christian without a compass and that you'll always walk in the wrong direction. You will always find yourself circling the same mountain over and over again because you never checked your compass to go, wait a second, that's north. Amen. And that's kind of where this series is going to find its roots and it's going to find its heart. In. And I want to spend these next few weeks and really talk on the Joshua generation, not specifically Joshua himself, and how this guy comes out of Egypt, right? There's, they're all coming, they're all, they're all going, and, and he gets to watch the entire generation die. He gets to see people sin. He gets to see people draw away from God. He's involved in battles. It's, it's hectic. It's chaotic. It's depressing. It's desperate. And then when everything settles, God says, okay, you're about to go to war You're about to go take a promise that actually wasn't given to you. It was given to your parents. Uh, But you're about to go take a promise, and and it's going to be messy. There's going to be fighting, but I'll be with you. And so what we see with Joshua in the next few weeks, what we're going to spend time with in Joshua is, he comes out of one chaotic moment, and he's preparing for the next. And God's teaching all of Israel not to have anxiety, but to be still. And not let the future struggle affect his present now and what God is doing. And so with that thought in mind, I'm going to read you from Joshua chapter 3, uh, verses 14 to 17. I want to set the picture just a little bit that Joshua has been picked by God because of his relationship with God in the secret place. That's last week. Listen to the podcast. It's kind of a mess. I had no notes. And I was making up everything on the spot. But I feel like that's what God was telling us to do. Uh, but this time we have notes. So God is even better. Um, And Joshua is about to go into the promised land, but they're not there just yet. And God says to Joshua, I'm about to elevate you in front of the people. And so Joshua goes and says, everybody, consecrate yourselves. That's a sermon for later in this series. He says, consecrate yourselves because God's going to do a miracle among you. And there's a beautiful thing that he's saying, set apart. Whatever it is, whatever the worldly things that are distracting you, look away for a moment because God wants to do something and if you blink, you'll miss it. And then he says, now grab 12 people, one from each one of the tribes and bring them forward. And the reason why that's relevant now is because we're gonna talk about something totally different today. And next week, we're gonna go into why he grabbed the 12 people. And what we see something beautiful is that God is so intentional He was so articulate that before Joshua even knew why he was pulling aside 12 men, God had a plan for the 12 men. Because God has a plan for every person. And so sometimes when God speaks, what our job is is to be like, I don't get what you're saying, but I do see the direction, right? Because sometimes God doesn't always tell us here's where you're going to end, but here's the direction I need you to walk. Amen. And that's a beautiful part of stillness. And if we really begin to understand and love and get to know our God, that's actually not so scary. It's only scary if you're watching God at a distance and you're not quite sure who he is. Amen. And so with that, with with the 12 men set aside and with the people consecrated and, and with people still don't know who this Joshua guy is. And what I mean is they know him, but they don't know him as a leader yet. And so this is the first thing Joshua does is say, hey, I'm the leader now. Clean yourselves up. Grab these 12 men. Something crazy is about to happen. And so people are like, okay, this decides. Will I follow him or are we going to be like our parents and rebel? And so here's what the first thing that God does amongst the people once Joshua begins to lead. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people... uh, The Ark of the Covenant is the presence of God. It represented to Israel, here is your God. And so the Ark, when they would travel, would go in front of them. Because your God is always before you. He's always leading you. He's always making a way for you. Same thing that the Israelites, before the Ark, they had a fire by day and a cloud by night. Flip that for me. They had a cloud by day and a fire by night. (laughs) Now the Ark is that and the ark is guiding them, and they're, they're walking, and they're following God, but now there's priests carrying, and if you actually study the story before this, they were standing, and then the ark walked through them to the front of them, and God said, stay 2,000 cubits. I didn't even do the math. I am not even pretend like I know what that means, but it's a lot. 2,000 of anything <laughs> is a lot, um, 2,000 cubits away, if you come any closer, you'll die. Here's why that's important, because that's not a hard rule. That's something Joshua was teaching them. He's drawing attention to, here is how you've dealt with God for the past 40 years. Because if we read the story coming up, they're about to come a lot closer than 2,000 cubits away. So they're staying at a distance, and they're watching God as he's about to change everything. And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the, of, the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. And it tells you that the Jordan overflows around this time. So this isn't just a river. This is a river that's overflowing. Translation, this is a dangerous river. So they're about to have to go through dangerous times, and they're going to have to trust God. Because if you'll notice, the water is about to split, but it didn't split until after they got wet. And so the people had to dip their feet, or at least the priest did, dip their feet. So the people that were closest to God had to dip their feet in the dangerous waters before it split. But it not that what faith is? The waters coming down from above stood and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside my boy Zeman's city, and the flowing down towards the Sea of Araba. the salt sea were completely cut off and the people passed over opposite to Jericho. The first thing God did when Joshua was in charge was repeat a miracle of his leader. It's the same God. I've heard people say God never does the same thing twice. This is the same thing twice. God's splitting a sea. They grew up hearing stories about this. A lot of these people weren't alive at that time. They grew up hearing stories about this. They grew up hearing, oh, Moses split the sea, and it's like, yeah, right, right? And it's like, Joshua's going to do something crazy. Ooh, I wonder what Joshua's, oh my, he split the sea. And so now, now maybe the stories are a little bit more real than they were just moments ago. Because this group of people, they never saw a God that moved. This group of people saw a God that let their fathers die. This group of people does not have the faith that they should. But they're also saying, I don't want to repeat the mistakes of my father. So even though they wouldn't go, I'm going to go. But I'm just as scared and I have less faith. And suddenly, God meets them. Now, the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all of Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every person in this room. God, we pray that that we wouldn't fear stillness. We wouldn't fear trusting you, that, God, we would actually trust you in the midst of what you're calling us to be still. Regardless of the storms and the temptations and the struggles, God, I thank you that even in the midst of that, God, that you are our peace, you are our provider, and because of that, we can be still and know that you are good, God. God, I pray that this truth would settle in our hearts and it wouldn't just be something that we know, but it would be something we would walk out. God, I thank you because you're here. I thank you because you're always here, Lord. And in Jesus' name I say, Amen. Um, I met my wife in the intern program at a different church. Uh, Me and Thomas joined the intern program, and I met her. She was looking fine. But one of the things about the intern program is they have this thing. In, in almost any group gathering I've ever been to where it's like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna bond, right? And it's my least favorite thing. I gotta tell you, I, I hate it. And, and uh, other people have recommended, you should do this in your leadership meetings. And I'm like, I'd rather die. <laughs> and what this thing is, is trust falls. I hate trust falls. It probably speaks a lot to the fact that maybe I don't trust people like I should, but I have a reason for that. So I'm in, we're at the intern program, and Pastor Stephen is saying, hey, we're going to do a trust fall exercise. And I'm like, no, we ain't. When I first joined the intern program, unlike my buddy boy Thomas over here, I actually wasn't a Christian yet. When I joined the intern program and I told the guy leading it, I'm not a Christian he, he told me, he goes, you're the only non-Christian to ever do this, uh, ever do this program. And he goes, you want to know why I told you that you'll, you're the only non-Christian that will ever do this program? We had to fill out a long sheet of paper. And on the thing, it's like, what do you hate most? I wrote hypocrites. And he goes, your hatred of hypocrites will either convert you or make you leave. And I'm going to let you figure out where you're at with God. Only reason. <laughs> so but so now we're doing trust falls, and I'm like, No. I mean, there were times where I would, I've would i openly uh, said things against the teacher in the group setting at certain points. Up to this point, he's very loving, very much walked me through this. And, but I, he's like, why, why don't you trust people? Why won't you do this trust fall? Do you think this person will drop you? And the person I was particularly doing a trust fall with was uh, not as big as Ernest, but he was a big man, right? Uh, he's a big dude, and he's like, the guy's looking at me like, I'm going to catch you. And I'm like, no, you won't. <laughs> you know, and he's like, you're going to have to do it, why won't you do this, and, and, and finally, because peer pressure works, I get in position only because of peer pressure, like, I was done, but it was like, Tom oh, was like, come on, and everyone's like, bro, what are you doing, bro, I'm like, everyone's saying Wes, and I'm just like, whatever they wanted me to do, I would have done it. Like, thank God I was in a good crowd because no substance would have been said no to, no action would have been said no to, peer pressure works, I was in. And I was like, well, here we go, I'm probably gonna die. And as I'm falling backwards, I remember why I hate trust falls. So I had a stepdad, had, keyword, don't have him anymore. Um, and, and it was me and his son, and we were on a a counter and then he goes, guys, jump in my arms when I catch you. This is so sad, right? I'm like, I'm like 10, and I'm about to learn that you can't trust anybody. Uh, and, and, and so his son jumps, caught just fine, right? You know what I'm saying? And, and so he catches his son, Sterling, who was my, my brother. Some of you have met him. He came here. He was a lot smaller back then. Um, he went through a really small phase, a ridiculously fat phase, and then, then he went into a I, I'm a supermodel phase. And I guess whatever works um, but, but it, I guess it worked. So I, I can't hate because I went through a skinny phase and then a slowly becoming more fat phase. And so like the supermodel phase apparently wasn't in my mom's side of the family. It was in his dad's side of the family. Cause I didn't get any of that. Um, but, but so he's like jump into my arms and I'm like, I'm kind of scared, but I jump. And right as I jump, my mom calls for him. She goes, Brian. And he goes, what? missed me because like he looks and I'm back and I'm on the floor and I'm crying and I felt so betrayed. It was ridiculous. I was like, you can't trust no one. Like it was like, like just like this depressing 10 year old who could have wrote like poetry about why he was depressed. And like he probably did because yeah, I didn't know any better. Um, and, but that always, that stuck with me. Because the thing is throughout my life, I was always told father figures, you need father figures. And my mom, brought in a few father figures, and my dad lived in a totally different state, and my mom moved a lot, so I'd start to really understand somebody, and then I would get moved away from them. And and so I had a hard time trusting because the people I was supposed to trust had consistently dropped me. And that began to actually translate into my relationship with God. And I think actually many of us would say that that happens to them. We, We have this moment where we think back or we have a deep distrust built towards anyone, maybe we don't even realize it. And it translates to, I don't trust God. Maybe a dad left you, or maybe just a friend has betrayed you, or maybe a spouse has cheated on you, or or things happen, and we start to put that on God. So we inflict our past on our present and future with someone who was never doing those things to us, and I've seen that. There are things my wife has had to walk through with me because I inflicted my past on our current relationship, right? And so with God, the same thing happens, and, and even Thomas has one of my closest friends and many people in here who I've been good friends with. Sometimes my past gets inflicted upon my relationships with present people, and most people would acknowledge that's a real thing, but then when they're coming face to face with a shortness or a or a lack that is created from the past, we don't respond well to our present. We acknowledge I'm doing this not because God's ever betrayed me, but because this person's betrayed me, but I can't go and trust him anyway. Or maybe even worse, we grew up with a very false opinion on who God is. People taught us, and y'all, that's why I say theology is important. We didn't know God like he really was, and so we felt shortchanged by our pagan God that we called Yahweh. Because someone taught us about him incorrectly. And so if he's a loving God, why would children starve in Africa? And that's like a question, and it's like, that's an emotional question. Because if you go to the Bible, it's actually there. The answer is actually not even hidden. It's kind of in your face of like, yo, the world's fallen. Everyone's in sin, and and there's going to be suffering because of that. And so the God that we worship isn't one that doesn't allow suffering. It's one that uses suffering to impact and change things. But that means suffering had to happen. And so we say, God, the God's a God of love. How can I miss my rent check? Because he provided his son. And when he promised to bless you, that was the promise. I do believe God will still be there and God will still show up for you. But the truth is, at the end of the day, that God has made straight our paths. That he has a plan and a destiny and something that we are called to walk in. And sometimes it's not going to look like you want it to look. And I heard someone say one time is how people talk about God being the staircase of their lives and they forget that staircases don't always go up. Sometimes they go down. And so he is our path, but that path could be a winding road. It has all kinds of pitfalls and pit stops and rest stops and great moments and high elevating moments and moments of pain and terror and breakthrough. Because David said, even though I go through the shadow of valley of death, the valley of shadow of death, there there you'll be with me. And he knows that. But what does that mean? That means David's path went through a valley of shadow and death. I, I remember the picture of the chicken that's walking through a KFC and then they put the Bible verse above it. And it's the funniest thing. Cause it's just like, even though I'm walking through the valley of shadows, I shall fear no evil. Cause that chicken was confident. And he's like, it's just the funniest video. Cause like anywhere in the world you could have walked. You walked into a KFC. You don't know what you're about, son. Um, but, but this translates to a severe lack of faith. And keep in mind, this is where the Israelites are at. The Israelites just like you and just like me, are in a place where all they knew was pain in their past, and God was saying, "Trust me now they hadn 't seen the God who split the waters, but God's saying, "Trust me now they haven 't seen the God who who threw a stick in the water, Moses threw the stick in the water, and suddenly the water 's drinkable like, i don 't even understand that, but but it worked right they didn 't see snakes bite their family, and so they erect this giant silver gold bronze, there it is, bronze snake. And when everyone looked at it, they got healed. They didn't know that God. They just knew the God that walked with them as they died. And some of us have that same relationship with God. He's the God that walks with us as we die. And we wouldn't say, I believe that. Because I tell people, I think the theology that you think about God and the one that you believe in your heart are two different things. Because we say God's a provider but then, but then we feel like we don't deserve to be provided for. Or, or we feel like, no, God's going to accept me no matter what because of the blood of his son, but I sinned so I can't go into his presence today. And, and so you, you can't do both. You can't believe both. What do you really believe about your God? The definitional word for that in the Bible is faith. And so today for the next so many minutes and so many seconds, I really want us to concentrate on the concept of faith and how God used the splitting of the sea to teach them about faith but first i want to go to hebrews chapter six hebrews chapter 11 verse six i think mark almost got a mini heart attack when i said it. chapter six he's like not again um because last week i gave him the wrong verse and it was awesome and without faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to god must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him let's keep them up for a second i've said this last week but i really want to nail this point home When I ask people what faith is, they'll typically say believing in God. And the Bible says it's only half of the picture. I don't just believe he exists, but I also believe that he rewards those who seek him. And that's a really important difference. I don't just believe God is with me. I believe he's with me and he'll do something about my circumstance. If you are missing one of those two things, it's not faith. I believe God's omnipotent, that he's always with me, that he's all loving, but I believe he can't do anything to fix this circumstance, or he doesn't love me enough to fix this circumstance, or I'm so bad that he can't fix this circumstance, then you're missing the other half of faith. Because faith produces change. And so if things aren't changing in our lives, and we don't really believe, because the growth is the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit, shout out to the last nine weeks, The fruit of the Spirit is a byproduct of what's in me, and what's in me is God. Amen? Um, Faith isn't just believing in God's existence. It also requires us to believe that he will reward us and walk alongside us. God uses the placement of the ark in the water. Right? They walk into the water, and what is God saying to them? He went before them into the water. I will go before you. Do you remember how they had to stay 2,000 cubits away? But then suddenly the water, the ark is going to stay in the water and they're going to walk past it. And now God's not just saying, I'll go before you. Now they're walking past and I will be beside you. And then the ark, the presence of God, stays in the water as they leave the water. Because God's not also, he's not going to leave you. He will get you out of circumstances and he will guard your rear. And he will cover you. So he's not just going before you and making a path. He's not just with you in the moment. He's also covering you from what could come behind. And Israel, who, listen, the stories, don't touch the ark or you'll die. Okay, the stories are, oh, the water just split? Maybe these stories are real. How aware are they of the ark at this moment? And they're walking up to it. And then God's beside them and no one's dying. People are actually just getting blessed walking into a promised land. And then they walk past and the ark is still keeping things covered, even though their eyes aren't on it anymore. Because God's still covering them, even though their eyes aren't on him anymore. And they come out the other side. And so I think what God was teaching Israel about faith and a lesson that we should all learn is those three points. I'm going to talk about them today. God will go before you. He will be beside you. And he will cover you. And if you fail to believe any of these things about God, it will radically alter your life for the less, for the worse. Many Christians don't believe God's making a path for them. We have to beat our own path out on our own. And that's why we go in so many wrong directions, because we don't trust that he'll move. And we don't believe God's beside us, so i got to be my own self-made man. i got to take care of myself, because God gave me a brain, and he gave me a mind, and so he wants me to do this on my own. That's bad theology. He's right there next to you. And I gotta make sure I handle this situation and make sure that this is covered and this is covered because if I don't do this, then life's gonna fall apart because I forget that God's covering me and I don't really believe it. And so I have anxiety and I have depression or worse, I have apathy. Where my life is everything I've always done and I add Jesus on Sundays or I pray when it's convenient. But the Bible teaches a real Christian is someone who takes their entire life, breaks it down, and says, God, build what you want. I think many of us feel like God didn't provide because he took away something that he never promised you could have in the first place. But he was doing it in favor of giving you something that you desperately needed. And I do believe that as long as we cling to things, I do actually believe that we'll miss the fullness of what God has, because if you're going to cling to something, you have to look to it. The Bible says to never keep your eyes off God. The Bible says to always be looking at him. If anything is pleasant, if everything is wonderful, right? We just heard that verse today. If anything is good, if anything is worthy, if anything is his honor, think on these things. Keep your eyes focused on God, not your circumstance. And so with that kind of thought in mind, I want to do point number one. God will go before you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, I've mentioned this a few times, and I really want our church to really start to grasp this. Um, Go read the Bible and go study the word free will and then go read the Bible and go study the word predestination and see which one comes up more, which one God seems to walk in more. I'm not saying we don't have free will, but what I am absolutely saying is God knows the beginning from the end. He's already planned. Your path is already set. You can't surprise God. You don't throw God off. And it's not like, oh, I want you to have one of these two things, but since you won't take this, I have to give you this. It's I knew you wouldn't take this and I've already set the path down the road where you didn't take this. Our God knows us. Our God was prepared for us. Our God had a plan for us spite of the dumb things that we are going to do i said this last week i want to repeat it again one of the most encouraging but offensive things i have ever heard someone say is that when god called you he planned in your stupidity and it's like a weird thing of like wow that's offensive but it's like weirdly encouraging when you do something dumb and you're like i mean i didn't shock him just now and he's still gonna walk with me god has a plan for you and here's the truth Someone showed me a verse today, and this verse is not one that people like to preach in service, but it says that God will show mercy to whom he show mercy. And then he starts to talk about Pharaoh whose heart got hardened. And yes, oh, he hardened his own heart twice. Yeah, but God said before Pharaoh even hardened his heart once, his heart will be hardened. Because God knew Pharaoh would harden his heart, and it was all part of his plan. Right, when Jacob and Esau were born, they were twins Jacob, or God says the older will serve the younger. And then if you look throughout their lives, at first that wasn't the case, but then the older messed up and the younger became leader because of the mistakes of the older brother. God didn't force that, but he always knew it and the plan was always set. It's uncomfortable when you look at life from the lens of, but I want to do this, this, and this. But it's really comfortable if you live life from the lens of, I want to be with God. I want to know him more. I want to live a life that will please him because he died for me. And then suddenly predestination is an encouraging thing because that means that as long as I stay in God and you can't lose your salvation, I'll always end up with God. And that's the chief desire of my heart anyway. And I would think that there's a part of faith that we don't want to understand is if you believe that, "Eh," that God exists and you believe that he will reward you, then you have to believe your whole life has to live through the lens of what is he doing, where is he at, what's his plan. And John Piper says something I think is really awesome because on top of that, that means we can trust tomorrow. I don't have to worry about tomorrow because the God who set everything in motion, the God who the Bible says Jesus was crucified from the foundations of the earth, meaning before Adam and Eve fell, God always planned on crucifying Christ. That God will take care of me tomorrow as well. And John Piper says something I really love. He says, trusting Christ today involves trusting him to bring tomorrow's trust when tomorrow comes. In the garden, Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. But you're supposed to have a 10-year. No, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. I do think we should plan. I think we should be wise I think there's wisdom in taking care of your finances, making sure everything's set in stone. Uh, But it absolutely is not something we worry about. It is something we do in good faith. I'm planning for my future in the good faith that God has something planned for it. I'm saving under the good faith that God will use this. I'm not worried about tomorrow. I actually completely trust tomorrow in the hands of the God who created tomorrow. Because keep in mind that tomorrow is a fabricated thing. It doesn't actually exist right now, right? At least as far as our linear timeline goes, right? And so don't worry about something that's not even around right now. That'll be there tomorrow, and that same God that was here today will be there tomorrow. The other two points are way more encouraging because this point is always like that thought of like, well, but my, but my free will. And it's like, you're still free, dude. Make your decisions. But, but God already knows what you're going to pick. And it, you know, it's like this thing of like, my son will sit and I'll be like, oh, look, he's about to do this. And then he does something before, like before he even thought to do it. I was already telling you what he was about to do because I know my child and I know the decisions he's going to make. And so they're not surprises to me anymore because I'm watchful and attempted to my child, att- attentive to my child. Attentive to my child. God's the same way with you. And you have to be encouraged because that's, that's the point. That business that's getting in the way of you actually getting yourself involved with what God's called you to do. If God doesn't want that business to succeed, it actually won't, no matter how much blood, sweat, and tears you put into it. And if he does want to, it to succeed, it actually still will, even if you spend most of your time praying and trusting God for what to do with it. Amen? But live your life like that with your kids. It is not your job to make sure your kids know Jesus. You teach them the best that you can, but at the end of the day, their relationship with God will be their relationship with God, and you have to trust that God has a plan for them just like he had a plan for you. I desperately want Boulevard Church to be a generational church. A church that isn't just worried about what are we going to do for these next 50 years, but a church that's worried what are our kids going to do in the 50 years after that. Uh, I think it's important that we set something beautiful in good faith and trusting that God is going to do more in this building and more with this group of people than just keep us happy for the next 10 years until another opportunity comes along. We move to another state, attend another church. But no, what is God going to do with this place? I trust he has a plan. I trust we're not just here to fall apart. I trust that we're actually here to build something and know that God is is going to do something about this place and this people. And if you're in this room, I think you have a part to play in that. But sometimes we don't really trust that God's going to move like that because the level of faith that takes. And so we have plan B and plan C, but there's no such thing as plan B in faith. I didn't mean that to be like an abortion thing, but it also was. Um, <laughs> there, there is no plan B in faith, and I mean that in every sense of the word, I guess. Except for skate plan, plan B. I liked them. Um, but think about that. I say that people say Amen, and just for one moment in stillness, think about all your plan Bs. What's your plan if this doesn't work out? And how was that faith? Did God call you here or not? If the answer is yes, no plan B. If the answer is no, get out. You're making this place worse. Uh, Because I only want people here if God's called them here, right? I'll take the most jacked up, messed up person all day long as long as they're called here because I know they'll build something here. Amen? So what's your plan B? It has to die or you can't call it faith. You can't say, I trust God. You can't trust God with a backup plan. Let let me tell you what this sentence means. I love my wife, but if it doesn't work out. I'm going to marry that person. That's how ridiculous we sound. That's not faith. That's not trust. <laughs> but we'll do it with God. God equates our relationship to him as a marriage. Amen. Well, the next thing, God will be beside you. We, um, because we got real quiet when it came to predestination, can we come back? Uh, God will be beside you. Just give a shout to the God who's actually here with you in this room right now. Deuteronomy 31, eight, And I'm going to use Deuteronomy 31, eight, even though it's Old Testament. It's like, how is this applied to me? Actually, if you go read Hebrews chapter 13, the writer actually takes this verse and applies it to the average Christian. And so I get to use this verse whenever I want because in context of Hebrews 13, it's mine too now. Uh, and God says, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Keep that up. The reason why I'm using this verse instead of the Hebrews 13 verse is because this verse is being said to Joshua and we're talking about Joshua. So I figured it was really applicable to what we're talking about. So the group of people that are going in to this promise and don't quite know if they can trust God just yet This is the only word they really have. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Do you believe God is with you? Do you believe God is with you right now? (laughs) Then quit saying, God, come fill the room. That's a bad prayer. If he's with you, he's already filled the room you're in. Then quit asking God to open up heaven. The Bible says that we're already uh, already in the kingdom. We're of the kingdom of God. So then why are you asking for God to open up a heaven that's not closed off to you anyway? Do you believe that God is with you? Or is that a thing we say, but we really believe that I have to pray the right prayer. I have to think the right thoughts. I have to act the right way because then God will be with me. Yeah. No, it's better than that. God's actually with you now. Even what? You, listen, that sin that you did, that video you watched, here's the uncomfortable thing. Right there with you. When you had those thoughts towards that person that you shouldn't have had, God was right there with you inside of you, along with you, preparing you, and ultimately going to use that to build you into something stronger. But do you believe God is with you now? God, let it rain. When did it stop? (laughs) God, come be with me. When did he leave you? That's Old Testament Christianity. But the veil split because God was no longer confined to one space as far as his manifest presence with people goes. But actually, he's inside of you. And what's really interesting is, if you think about it, I'm, we act like the gospel was, right? So the, behind the Holy of Holies was where the presence of God was. Yes. And so people act like what that means is, God saved me so that I could go into the Holy of Holies spiritually. And we, here's why I say we act like that, because we act like we come and go out of the presence of God. But the actual gospel is, God saved me so that the Holy of Holies could come into me. And hear the difference. I'm not going into the presence of God. The presence of God came into me. That is actually your relationship with the God of the heavens and earth, provided that you are a Christian, that you believe Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. So that means your provider is with you in that circumstance. Yeah. Do you really believe he's next to you in that circumstance? You guys, we can't get still with God. Because we're so worried about the next thing. But the person who's gonna answer that is just saying, be still, let me handle that. And we get stuck in this vicious cycle. And it's time to create positive cycles in our life. Quit speaking about your God like he's not with you right now. Because from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I think sometimes we take catchy slogans because that's just what they are, they're catchy. And then slowly but surely, they start to chip away at us and then someday it's our theology. Slogans are real cool if they're good theology because it helps it just stick in your brain. <laughs> right? And so, so right, slogan, right? God didn't make you to go into the holy of holies. He made the holy of holies to come into you. Like if you can catch that saying, just keep rolling with it. That's a good saying because now the fullness of God is in the fullness of me. And, and I love that because I was dead in my sin and my trespasses, and then God came within me and brought my spirit man alive, and now I can live to the things of God. If you feel bound, if you feel stuck, if you feel like you can't overcome, if it's the same struggle, the same sickness, the same mental thoughts, the same sins, the same temptations, the same struggles, that's not Christianity. Christianity is God will help you overcome that because now he's with you on a personal, intimate level in that sin and in that temptation And in that struggle, you got to believe it. And last but not least, part three, God will cover you and he will protect you. Psalm 139, 7 to 12. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I, make, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is a light with you. Keep that up. Even the darkness is as day in the presence of God. Even your storm is as calm waters in the stillness of God. Even your temptation is as a victory in the presence of God. God will cover you. God will protect you. That's the point of this scripture. Y'all, if you ever feel discouraged, if you ever feel like God doesn't love you or God's not there with you or God won't cover you, or you're in the middle of the storm and you're having a hard time seeing the provision coming, go read this psalm, Psalm 139. I was really tempted to read the whole thing for this service. We just really didn't have the time. Just go read it. This is one of the most encouraging sections of Scripture in the entirety of the Bible because the whole point of it is God loves you, God's with you, God will take care of you. That's it. That's the game. That's the gospel. Amen? I want to close with a thought. And then, I don't know, maybe we can worship. maybe not. There's a story that has always really impacted me. Uh, ever since I was pretty new as a Christian, uh, my second year of intern program, so I was a Christian for about a year. Um, and, and the story goes like this. There's a story of a man. Oh, Aaron, you want to come hang out? You want to make me sound more holy? This is the, this is the part. Um, <laughs> this is where God really moves, because even though God's always with me, it's really the piano. And so I have to fabricate an emotional moment so that we can respond to God. Um yeah, that's that's the game. Um yeah, see, right? It's already here, like you know what I'm saying? Okay, um yeah. Thank you for coming alive again a little bit. I missed you guys. Um there's a story of a boy and his father and they're going through the airport. I can't even take this serious. I feel so like God. Okay, it's a young boy with his dad and they're going through the airport and I've told this story in this church before but I don't care it's one of my favorite stories in all of scripture and I'll probably say it all the time by scripture uh, it's not in scripture at all I'm just, I'm just it's so annoying it's becoming scripture because of this holy moment I'm just kidding that's bad theology um, it's a story of a boy in the airport with his dad and as they're kind of going through I don't know if the word's customs they're going through something and, and they take the boy and separate him off from his dad and put him in a back room uh, and I'm not quite sure why if it was a random check or whatever but then the dad furious because his son is young and I'm saying like 10 to 12 kind of young he starts yelling he starts making a big fit and he's going through the security force as they're kind of trying to hold him back and, and he's continuing to yell and continue to scream you have no right to take my son from me you have no right to separate us just kind of announcing his rights in a really loud way uh, so that no one will really mess with him as he keeps making his way towards his son And the dad's all flabbergasted, he's all emotional, he's all upset. And he gets to the door and he opens the door and his son is just happily kicking his feet in the room. And the beautiful thing about the story is the dad just, he uses it to preach this amazing message. And he says, when I ask my son, wait, are you okay? What's, what's, are you good? And he goes, yeah, I was never worried because I never stopped hearing your voice. And I knew you were coming for me. And then he began to teach us about going into the presence of God And that if we really listen to the voice of God, we won't have fear. And suddenly, with I'm writing this message and I'm looking and I'm like, why do we doubt that God is with us? Why do we doubt that he'll go before us? Why do we doubt that he's covering us? Why do we trust him? And then the rent check bounces. Why do we trust him? And then a sinner, a temptation pops up. Why do we trust him? And then suddenly a demonic attack happens or suddenly my anxiety is bigger than God or suddenly my depression is going to overwhelm me. Why do we keep going back and forth in these things? And I realize I think that is just the, the answer. Too many Christians are interacting with a God that's in the other room, but he's not talking. And too often, I think we, we don't have the faith to trust God because we're not hearing him speak. And many of us, when we're saying, man, I'm, I'm having just a hard time believing in God, I mean, it's just been so rough recently. I've said this time and time again, and I think I'll say it for the rest of my life because I think, here's the truth, you guys, the individual person sitting in this building, you growing closer to God and knowing him in a more real way is the top priority in any sermon I ever preach. Regardless of what theology I'm teaching, regardless of what overall point I'm trying to make, the first and foremost desire in my heart, the thing I pray every time I go back there for you guys, anytime I'm working on my word is God, how can I use this to draw them closer to you? Because for so many of us, God isn't real. He's an idea that we believe in, but he's not personal and I don't know him. How could you have faith in someone you don't know? You don't have to see someone to know them. But you do have to know them to really believe in them. And what I think is so many of us, we're walking this Christian faith without the voice of God. And so we don't trust the moment to moment because we haven't heard him talk in so long. And we go and we say, man, I prayed. I prayed, but I just didn't hear him speak. The Bible doesn't tell you you'll always hear him speak. Again, that's just bad theology. It's creating, wow, I don't hear him. He must be far from me. Then we sit and we worship and we pray and we push through our own thoughts and our own minds. Because if you're praying to God, but imagining the argument you're going to have with your neighbor next week, you're not praying. And if you're praying, you know, you know those arguments that we have on our own head all the time? Or like during worship for some of us, it's like, I'm not worshiping God, I'm on the stage and everyone's clapping because of how good I sound. I'm putting myself on blast here, that happens sometimes. Um, <laughs> and sometimes in prayer, I'll leave after 30 minutes and realize I just had an argument in my head and I didn't talk to God for 30 minutes. Last night I had a real moment. Uh, this message was so distracted and so attacked and I don't mean from the devil, it's just, it's just how it landed. Um, Every time I try to get alone with God, a big fire always came to my phone. And I spent like an hour really thinking over the issue. And I stepped back last night and looked at my word and said, Man, God, I have been practicing preaching this word, and not once have I asked you to bless it today. And suddenly, in just a moment, it stopped being real, even though I thought it was real. And it stopped being genuine, even though I wanted it to be genuine. Even though I feel like I'm a genuine person, it wasn't genuine anymore because I was talking about a God that I wasn't involving in the prayer. And so many of us, we don't know where God is and we don't trust him and we don't hear from him. But when's the last time you just sit down and you shut up and said, this hour's for you, God. What do you want to say? What is your word telling me? God, thank you because you're here with me. And I don't have to ask for that. I don't have to, I don't need a worship set. Worship is amazing. Because it only facilitates my heart being grateful for God. It does not, and I I hate when people say this, but they say it all the time, it does not facilitate the presence of God. The presence of God is already here and he will always be here. Too many Christians, your theology gets so bad where God's so far away. And so in worship, I have to fight to get to a God that's with me. And that's the point of the gospel. And so we're falling apart and we're struggling and we don't know where our God is. And he's with you right now. And he was with you yesterday. And he's with that person that you just so desperately want to know him. But they're showing no signs of getting closer. He's with them too. Keep praying keep getting to know your God he's real it's not a question it's not a doubt it's not an experience it's a person and he died for you and he made a way for you and the door never closed and it's gonna stay open and it's time to walk into his presence he is here right now and he's here when you're by yourself in your room and he's here when you're crying in your car because your husband or your kid or your wife is acting up he's here how real is God to you but for real not the I know how real he's supposed to be how real is he I want to invite you to make him real to you because he is I don't care what yesterday looked like I don't care how often you've gone through the same thing my answer would be let him be real to you because he's not for so many of us and we'll go through streams where he's so real and then suddenly he's not anymore fight your greatest struggle is not your discipline your devotion your greatest struggle is believing the gospel it's hard to be devoted to a god we don't believe will be there when we show up that means i don't believe the gospel it's hard to be disciplined and live right for a God that's just over me, judging me for not being right. But that's the opposite of the gospel. The point of the gospel is that I'll never be right without Him. And so He made a covenant with me that didn't require anything from me, it just required the blood of His Son. When we worship, do you really believe He's there? Or is he only there once John Tahista drops a great word? Or once Aaron finally begins to flow in the Spirit? Or when Aaron finally throws his jacket or kicks off his hat? Because we used to joke when they called it the Aaron anointing, where suddenly God's more real in the moment. And that's the point. He was just as real before as that moment that you were crying. But suddenly I looked to where he was. Ravi Zacharias says something that has absolutely changed my life. We go through temptations and struggles and cry, trials and we forget to pray to God and one day we look up and say, God, where are you? Well, he's right where you left him, right beside you, walking through this. Look to your left. I was sitting with my son for 30 minutes last night and I was playing a game, or was the night before that, and he cooed suddenly and I was like, I forgot you were here. 30 solid minutes of forgetting I had a child forgetting I had a son but I wasn't aware of his presence and I wasn't looking to him so even though he was in the room he wasn't impacting my actions and then a noise happened and then suddenly God moves in worship and it gives us a chance to look but all that is supposed to do is train you here he is keep looking and tomorrow when you're by yourself look there again there he is keep looking he's real he's with you never leave you and he'll never forsake you. And some of you need to start looking at those Bible verses with those deep promises and read them every day. I have a list of about five Bible verses. This is super cheesy, but it's super real. And I look in the mirror every morning and I say those five Bible verses to myself. It's the same five. It doesn't ever shake. It doesn't ever change. And I'll do it till I know it. And I'll do it till I see it in my life. And I'll do it until I realize this verse is something I believe without thinking about it. And then I'll shuffle it off and put a new verse in. Because I want these five things I keep saying over myself to become my lifestyle. I want God to be real to me. I want to see him. The first verse I ever did that to. It's funny. I said I remember it, but I I don't remember the verse. Um, But it's the verse that says, come boldly before the throne of grace. It is the absolute first verse that I, re- I had to push until I believed because I do absolutely believe stillness begins in your secret place and you can't have faith until you know God. And so the most important thing any Christian can do is get with their God every day with no, no other priorities, no other prerogatives, not I'm gonna read the Bible and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna go out and evangelize and I'm gonna, no, no. Just get with your God and get to know him That involves study, that involves worship, that involves prayer, that involves conversating with people. But the more I get to know God, the closer I get to him. The closer I get to him, the more I get to know him. The more I get to know him, the closer I get to him. What happens is someday we create such a crazy habit in our lives that without meaning to, we're just constantly growing closer to God because we built such a healthy relational habit. I don't work hard to go on a date with my wife. It's just this consistent thing we have set in place. And it just keeps cycling through. And, oh, I can't do that that day. That's just a day. day. Uh, since we had a kid, he, you know, he's kind of got in the middle of that. But not too much longer here. We'll give him a couple more weeks, and then we're going we're gonna to send him outside to play for a little bit while we hang out. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. but, but really, can the band come back up? I don't know what song we got to sing, but we got to sing it. We can kick off. Yeah, kick off the lights. Um, I'm going to pray. And if you want to go, go. But li- listen to me. It is very rare that I have a conversation with someone, and I do not mean this to be a downer on anyone because it's also something true in my life, where I step back from my person and say, I feel like they really, really chase God with everything they have. But I've met people that they do. I know it's not this far off thought. It's actually a real thing we can all do reason why I feel like that anxiety keeps coming back and that depression and those doubts and those worries is because we have a God that hates depression, anxiety, doubts, and worries, but not a God that'll do anything about it. But that's not the gospel. He'll do something about it. Maybe not immediately, but build that relationship. This last Sunday, I want to say something. I can tell I have a message coming in two, three weeks specifically on this because I honestly can tell where we're at as a church a lot of times based on our worship. We push, we worship, we chase God. But something I notice is that very few people will be vulnerable. I had a conversation with someone recently that I really respect and look up to. And we had the talk, and during the talk, they started crying. And they're like, man, I just have a hard time talking about these things. And I'm just like, man, it's so hard to be vulnerable. And this last Sunday, when I preached, Ernest, you came up and just laid your face before God. And that's the future of this church. It really is. I think you set a precedent. And the second I saw it, I was like, no, this is what God wants. I believe messages should be structured, they should have points, and they should have deep study. But I do not believe that about worship. I believe it should be like David it should be undignified. They got to know their parts. Y'all better be excellent. Uh, but y'all don't need to be. There's a place for your face. Just fall. The altar is a real place where you can come before God and say, you know what, God? I am saying these words, but I don't mean a single thing that's coming out of my mouth. Help me with that. Because I love it when we sing, I'm going to shout for God. The whole crowd is like, I'm going to shout. It's like we just lied to God. (laughs) We just lied in church and publicly in unison, 60 people lied to God. And it blows my mind. Let him be real to you. Trust him through the stillness the doubts just like Israel had to walk through this storm and they had to place their feet in a place that was stormy and it was gonna drown them they had to walk through it knowing at any moment everything could collapse and the only thing keeping the water up is the presence of God and that's how scary trusting him can be it's a perfect picture He's here, he's in the midst, I can see him, but to my left and to my right are giant mountains of water that will destroy me if he so much as blinks or looks away for a second. So I have to trust that his gaze and his attention and his love towards me is so fixated that this will not crumble and kill me. Okay, I've said it a thousand times. I don't know how to close sermons. Um, So I'm just gonna pray for all of you. but if you would do me the favor, pray up here. And then worship when I say amen. <laughs> and if you've got to go after this, this is fine. But at least come up for the prayer. You can go back and hide if you want after. There's no shame in that. I think we all have our own process and our own walk with God. We have to walk this out. But I want to welcome you into a place where God is as real as the Bible says he is. And that God is just as real with you as he is with all the people you look up to. And any Christian, you're like, man, I want to follow God like they follow God. God can be just as real to you as he is to that person. He can move on you and grow you and change you just as well, if sometimes not even better, than that person. But man, so many of us, our relationship with God is kind of like our church attendance. (laughs) Once every other month, once every few weeks. But really, I don't really go with God much. And I want to welcome you into this place to consistently be here and to consistently worship and to consistently get built up and to consistently ask your questions and consistently come and cry and come and doubt and let it be real because God is real and God is here and he's not here because of the worship band. He's not here because Pastor Wes prayed. He's not here because the leadership team cried out for you guys. He's not here because we had intercession. He's here because he's God and because you're here. That's it. There is no other reason for the presence of God because he's in you and you're standing here. And dear Lord in heaven, I pray that we would see you as real as you are. That we would grow in our, our hunger and our desire for you that like a sweet romance, Father God, this would be something that we would dive deeper in, God, that would be more intimate towards, that God, just like a, a, young, a young man or a young woman just new in a relationship so excitedly receiving texts or reading love letters, Father God, that we would but we would be desperately in love to see you like that, God. To read your word like that, God. And sometimes it's hard, and sometimes our hearts aren't there, God, but I pray that your heart, you would set our hearts on fire, God. And that it would be a flame that we would actually cultivate. And that we would desire to see grow and catch other things aflame. But God, first and foremost, it begins with us personally knowing you personally, God. I thank you because that's an option. I thank you for the honor it is to come into your presence and that you made a way. God, I thank you that by each person here, by their name, by their dispositions, by their struggles, and by their wins, God, you know them, you have a plan for them. Their future and their successes are set in stone by nature of your spirit and your plan over our lives, God. I pray that we would actually interact with you and with the world under the impression that that itself is true, God. And in Jesus' name, I pray a blessing here. And I pray that in this place of worship, God, we would experience you for real, that we would not be afraid to cry, to lay down, to jump, or to yell, or just to lift our arms like we never have before. God, I pray for breakthrough, and I pray it would be genuine, God, and in Jesus' name I pray, amen.